Another episode of Space and Space 60. and 60. Coming at you. Here we are again. We've got Chad Baker. Hello. Andrew Palip Chuck Chuck Wood Chuck Wood. Chuck Chuck Wood. Wood and Chuck Wood. Myself, Clint Grauman. Glad to have everyone back on the show. All you listeners out there that listen to us, I'm sure on a regular basis. I bet you all get alerts as soon as our next episode is live. Loving it. Getting the slow blink. I wish you guys could see the the image of Andrew on the other side of this meeting, Andrew giving the slow blink. It's become famous in our circles. Yeah. You should just go ahead and trademark the slow blink at this point. Probably, but I was I was honestly just hanging my head in embarrassment. <laughs> That's what I thought you were doing. Embarrassed <laughs> to me or embarrassed of... The slow blink has a whole new meaning now. I like it. It does. It does. There we go. Who's on the show today? We have a guest who I think many of you already know. You've probably seen his tweets or seen him all over LinkedIn with his writing on Earth observation. Someone that we've all come to follow in the Earth observation industry, Aravin Ravishandran. Aravin, it's great to have you on the show. I'm super excited. You're not Aravin. But I'm still super excited. So I'm excited. Splice that ahead of us. All I'll right, keep Arvin. that in there. Keep that <laughs> in. Slow <laughs> link. <laughs> Arvin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Arvin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I think most of our listeners probably see you all over the Twitterverse and all over LinkedIn with all of your insights and reporting that you do. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks. So what keeps you busy these days? Well, quite a few things. It's been six months since I joined Tomorrow.io as the director of space strategy. I've been here, you know, leading the, you know, the go-to-market marketing and yeah, all things space because tomorrow, um, as some of your listeners might know, came into the space industry from a completely different perspective than usual. It's a company that already had a product, it's a software company, been going on for five years, and then they transitioned into space. So, you know, it's a bit of a different approach compared to companies in the space industry. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun learning about weather, because tomorrow is a weather software company, So, and we are building weather satellites. So weather, have realized increasingly, has been a part of space that is not being looked into so much. You've just forgotten that, you know, it works and it's all good. Sometimes I even wonder, oh, I haven't even seen them in the market reports. So, you know, why isn't it part of the space economy, you know? So it's been just a forgotten part of the space economy and I'm discovering it. So yeah, that's on one end. And with all the work, I'm still managing, trying, I guess, to keep up with my podcast and writing and all that. So yeah, that's going on on the side as well. You know, I also have a podcast focusing on the space industry. Yeah, chatting about well, basically just chatting to folks that I, you know, want to chat about to talk about what's going on in the space industry and the writing again, it started out as something that as a hobby and now it's gotten a little more professional than that. So yeah, so quite a few things going on. Well, you came into the space industry from an alternative approaches as well. I think that's one of the unique things about almost everyone that's on our show is no one really came in through the front door. Almost all of us came in through the side door to get into the space industry. How did you get in? Yeah, no, it's been six years now. And well, I used to work in software. So I started out in software for the first five years of my career was in software. I started as a programmer, actually working at Amazon, and then moved to the business side of software, working in software sales. And I think it was 2016, a couple of things happened. Well, one, I got bored of working in software. And you got bored of working in sales? Well, yeah, well, software sales. <laughs> and then, you know, I was still following the developments in the space industry. I was not a space geek, but I was still interested in the space industry. And I wanted to see, you know, what else I can do. And then I realized that there is a university that kind of 
exists for people outside the space industry and is the ISU, the International Space University. And I happened to meet someone accidentally in a cafe when I was living in Berlin. And he told me about ISU, as it's called. Oh, maybe you need to check that out because, you know, you seem like someone who wants to work on big things and space is probably the best industry for that. And now you've got me intrigued. I like Andrew and I have worked in Berlin quite a bit in the space industry. And it's not a huge industry in Berlin. I'd love to hear who you met that told you, go get in the space industry. But before you go there, Clint, I think we should point out, we've determined that, that you don't go to the right cafes. I think we've, <laughs> we've touched on this in other interviews that Clint goes to, you know, Starbucks and all the space people go to Tim Hortons. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe. I don't know which cafe I went to. It was a random cafe and I was probably reading a book. I guess it was the science of interstellar at that point. Only space geeks, I guess, buy those kind of books or, you know, you need to be like interested in, you know, you're just not watching a movie and getting out of the show. You you kind of want to understand a little bit more. So, you know, someone just noticed. I don't know who it was. I forgot. <laughs> it was not someone I knew and uh, we didn't keep in touch. But we just started chatting and he was mentioning about ISU and what he'd done before. He was in a very, you know, scientific domain and I didn't really connect to what he was saying. And then, you know, went back home and I checked out ISU. Then I spoke to a couple of folks who knew someone who studied ISU and who kind of, you know, enlightened me that you can get into space and, you know, work on different things. But all of them had a, you know, engineering or scientific background. So I didn't really know what I was going to do even after ISU, but, you know, I took the risk. I got into ISU, did space. Clearly, I could not be a rocket scientist or an astrophysicist. I mean, unless I start over, which I didn't intend to at that point because I was already almost bankrupt, paying for ISU, <laughs> living my life. So, you know, I needed to figure something out. And that's kind of how I got into consulting because that's kind of the best thing I guess I could do. So... When all else fails, you can consult. Exactly. Well, <laughs> if it happens to be in space industry, you know, it's even better, right? So just coincidentally, I met someone again. I think good things happen to me again when I meet people randomly. And this one was at a conference. There was someone from PwC, a consulting company. They have a space practice in, in, in France, like a really small one, but they do have. And I met him and, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit and then I realized, oh, wow, so there is consulting that's happening in the space industry. That's great to know. And I kept in touch and, you know, I kind of got into the team. It's a small team that's based in France called PwC Space Practice and working on a bunch of projects, mostly in Europe, sometimes internationally, but I got joined there and that's kind of how the space journey started. And you've got a, a pretty strong background in your consulting practice as well as some of the other parts of the industry in earth observation. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most exciting thing going on in EO today, earth observation? Well, I mean, there's no one. That's why I decided to write about it because, you know, there was one I could, well, I think if I have to point out one thing, it's probably everything seems to come together, I guess, are starting to come together because I think initially it was all about the hardware. Well, initially, I mean, just four or five years ago, I guess. In general, yeah. Yeah, well, Planet only started 10 years ago and they, let's say, started converging into doing something only four or five years ago. So, you know, if I have to just focus on what happened four or five years ago, it was all about the hardware. Let's miniaturize the satellite. There's still some things going on there, you know, new sensors. So the hardware bit is still quite exciting, but then the more exciting bit is, what are we gonna do with all that data, right? Like, so that's finally starting to converge. You have companies like tomorrow coming in, it wouldn't have happened if the hardware bits were not figured out, right? Like satellite miniaturization and the launch kind of enabled that. If that didn't exist, then, you know, nothing else would have happened. So I think the biggest thing is markets, people are finally understanding what the earth observation market is, because I had, you know, a few people on my podcast from Planet, from Satellogic, and I asked them, founders, uh, usually like, how did you start the company in 2010? Because the only market back then was defense. Like people didn't even have any idea that there are other markets. Well, of course there is, you know, like smaller teams in agriculture and oil and gas use uh, earth observation data, but really needed to have like, you know, immense foresight to see that this was going to be a huge market. So, and that's what's starting to happen now. More people are starting to understand 
why we're sending satellites. And satellites are also starting to say, be sent for a reason to solve a problem, as opposed to just launching a satellite to enable a technology without. EO has always been an industry which has been searching for a solution. A technology that's been searching for a solution, and I think that we're slowly converging towards that solution. Um, don't know how long it's going to take before. I wrote a piece where I said EO could become a multi-billion-dollar market, you know, with a small asterisk, subject to conditions. And hopefully, we are kind of getting near that point now. When this question comes up, you know, I often think we've kind of hit that trifecta, and I think there's another level to that afterwards. But you hit it on the head: the space hardware. There's the launch side, launch has changed a lot. And then there's the cloud compute piece. You know, all these things are converging or have converged to create this revolution. And then the question is, so how do we take that to the next level? What's the next piece that breaks it out and makes it as commonplace as all sorts of other information technologies we see out there? But, uh, we're definitely getting there. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, uh, it's just crazy, right? Like, I don't know, sometimes we just hold it to be too special, I guess, because, you know, I was coming in from software. So for me, I was just like, it's just another type of data. Well, of course, there's, you know, a domain attached to it, remote sensing. You know, you can't just take that data and integrate it. You need to kind of convert that into some sort of information. But still, you know, that is still only one component. And the more I worked in understanding what's going on with remote sensing, I didn't become a remote sensing expert in my consulting time, but I couldn't figure out why, you know, we have to treat it so specially because, you know, it's another type of data. It will probably be in the background, right? And the best case scenario is just like navigation, just like weather even, or even communication, like all the downstream maps from space, EO will also be in the background. And people will probably have no idea that, I don't know, in five years time, they're reporting on their ESG to the government. Probably a lot of that will be enabled by satellites. But people will probably not care unless you know you kind of go need to go back and verify if what they reported is correct. You know, only then you'd be like, oh, how was this information reported? All oh, right, it was from this satellite. And who was this satellite from? Ah, okay, that provider. You know, that's the only point you probably will even associate the name of the brand. That's the best case scenario, but I don't think we're there yet. Eventually, I think as we see with something like Google Maps, people stop caring about exactly where the photos have come from. It's now just show me something recent, show me the traffic. And what's that point in time, right? That the image collects and the satellite collects right there. And what can you extract from that? So, Yeah. And we have a good case study. And, you know, in the last six months of tomorrow, I've learned so much about the similarities with weather. Again, we've, like I mentioned, we've forgotten about weather, but then everything that went on in weather or is going on in weather applies to earth observation, right? Like we get a you know a hurricane warning. Do we care if it comes from the NOAA satellite or the JAXA satellite? No. And soon it's going to become more commercial, right? Like, oh, was this flood alert from tomorrow's satellites? People would not care. And you know, our the customers that tomorrow work with are the best examples, right? Like they just care about the alert. Like, hey, you're gonna get floods, so you better product your assets in the next three days. That's all they they care about. You know, I live in a hurricane prone area. And I got to tell you, when it comes to the European model or the American model for predicting the hurricanes, I definitely, if I see the American model on TV, I'm like, eh, I'm going to wait for the European model. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then there will be tomorrow's model soon, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I can't wait to see tomorrow's model. All right. It's already out. You know, it's only going to get better with with our satellites because what we have right now is incremental improvements on, you know, data that has been already collected. And now with the data that we will collect ourselves, the models going to get you know infinitely better simply because you can count the number of satellites that are out there today in terms of weather. And you know if you kind of increase the capabilities by 10x, you can only imagine just logically the amount of increase in accuracy and things like that are going to come. So yeah, it's going to be exciting for the weather industry. So just to have so much data available, just like Earth observation, right? Like people are just with Landsat and and sentinels for all along and now they have well hopefully when the prices go down they will have access to all the remote sensing data and it's the same case with weather we're going to have and it's it's also much needed right like in the in the world we're living in in terms of climate change i think Clint, based on where you are you probably will 
experience that are already experienced that maybe and you'll experience that more and more. So I think something you just said there is is really key. You said earth observation data and weather data, but in reality, earth observation data can be way more than just imagery or radar. Like earth observation data, we're talking about things like AIS, ship data. We're talking about radio frequency sensing for signal intelligence. All of these things are really important to be able to observe what's happening on the earth and, you know, weather data, earth observation data, just as well as imagery is. And all of these things are really playing into the most mature market that space has today. And that's earth observation in several different vertical markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, and, and that's one of the things that I've been thinking about and I want to write about it at some point is who is going to be the big horizontal player in earth observation who's going to crack the code because right now for whatever reason and i guess the reason is to you know to kind of have a focus point you have some companies focusing on defense some companies focusing on agriculture some companies focusing on insurance but earth observation is that kind of data that you can use it for absolutely everything but then you know you will probably lose focus as a company if you say yeah you're going to focus on all the markets and you're probably not going to do anything because you, you haven't understood any of the market properly. So it's going to be interesting to see who becomes that horizontal champion because either there's going to be a big horizontal champion, like the big enterprise softwares of our times, right? Like the Salesforce, SAPs and all of those companies, S3, you know, they mastered being horizontal because their data, their platform is used across sectors, right? Like, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see who is going to be that player or players who are going to crack the whole market. It's going to be an interesting next five years. I mean, either that's going to happen or it's going to be, you know, kind of, you know, if you look at the adoption curve or the hype cycle, it's kind of at the highest peak or probably approaching the highest peak. Is it going to fall down soon? We're going to have to wait and see. I think that we have four people on this podcast today, and I think all of us are relative, I guess, veterans of the industry. And I would make the observation that it's not even a matter of wondering which company is going to crack the code. I'm not sure that all of those companies out there even know which code they're trying to crack, to be honest. Like, I don't think any of them really know what they're trying to get to, to be that dominant player. So when you use that phrase in that context, what exactly do you mean what code they're trying to crack? Well, I mean, I can't speak for the companies because I've tried to observe what they're trying to do. Like I wrote a piece last year about how the next thing in earth observation is verticalization, where, you know, like I mentioned, each of them will have to choose a vertical, not because they want to, but they'll probably see that adoption is more for the data that they have in a specific industry. And we saw that happening, at least in some cases with, for example, with ISI, diving down a little bit more into insurance. Not that they are not selling into defense or, I don't know, agriculture or another sector anymore. Same with Planet. They are diving down a little bit into agriculture. Doesn't mean that they are not selling to, I don't know, defense and insurance. It's just that, you know, they'll dive deep a little bit more into a specific vertical. I think that's kind of what... If I have to say the code, even in the inside that vertical, right? Like you need to crack a specific use case. So what is your data going to be most useful for? And I think ISI has kind of figured out that it's going to be flood risk, I guess, this is, which is what they are kind of, you know, diving deep into. Planet again, because of their data and because of their resolution, I think their data is fit for one purpose and agriculture seems to be that big market. At least they have kind of focused on a little bit more. So yeah, that, that's the case for Planet and I'm sure that's going to be the case for others. And what I did, for example, with, with Tomorrow, what I found because they got to space from a software perspective is they already have a software that's being used across sectors. That was learning for me in terms of how to approach kind of a, a product, right? Like, because they have a product and the product is being used across sectors. And the best case scenario, again, for for tomorrow is our data is going to be used by, you know, companies that we already work with, but they would have no clue that the data is coming from space, right? Like, and that is basically the imaging or non-weather earth observation industry's dream is to 
have that software that will be used by companies across sectors, not knowing that you know this data comes from space. That is what will kind of enable the Earth observation market to grow, at least. And that's basically the code that's left to crack, at least in, in, in the perspective of, at least in my perspective, but then it's also good for the market's perspective, simply because the adoption of Earth observation data is is basically the big barrier that lies between the growth of the market and you know the hype cycle of the market not growing as much. Makes sense to me. It sounds like there's a little bit of timing and alignment with technology as well as business models. And then the data, of course, as you mentioned, it, it seems to naturally fit certain specific use cases at that time and moment in the technology curve overall. And to crack that code, it may not necessarily be directly an input of of the company and the data you're working with, but also just where's the market, where's the rest of it. Yeah. And with how quick technology is going and new sensors being launched, and like you mentioned, you know, launch vehicles being able to get up cheaply and quickly, by the time you think you have cracked that code, you have another data set to be able to bring in another layer of information to layer into that. So does that that change your code? Well, not really, because as long as you Focusing on solving a problem, it shouldn't change, right? Like, again, going into an example, I don't know what example, like, let's take insurance, right? Like, you started with, okay, we're going to supply data for parametric insurance. And probably you started with Sentinel-1 or Sentinel-2 radar data or optical data. And then you figured out three years later, planet's data is good. So you, again, add on to that layer. Then ISI and Capella, all of them started launching. So, you know, you add that on and then you figure out, oh, you know, there's thermal infrared and we could probably also have insurance related to wildfires. And again, you add that on. So as long as, you know, the focus was starting with a problem and having a product in mind, it'll only enable it because, you know, whatever trend you're looking at, like the next big thing people are talking about in Earth observation is on-orbit data processing. Again, you know, if you're this insurance company who have built this product, focusing on solving a problem, you're just going to use that and exploit that for your advantage. Again, at the end of the day, you wouldn't even care that all of this exists as long as your product works and, you know, you're able to kind of make a claim that makes sense or build a model that works very good. So, you know, any of those technologies are thermal infrared on orbit data processing, all of that shouldn't affect you. I mean, as long as you want to use any of that, you can use it, but you would be focused on how is it kind of solving my problem. Yeah, I'd love to to know your thoughts then on the on-orbit data processing. Like there are two very different schools of thought that I hear on a regular basis with that, but I think there's a clear trend heading that direction to develop that capability to really process data on orbit and send back a lighter data download. What are your thoughts on where that goes for the industry? I mean, I think it is inevitable because I used to work at Amazon, right? Like in 2018, 17, whenever they started taking space seriously, I don't know when that was and when they announced their whole AWS space, I thought, wow, okay, they've gotten into it at the exact perfect moment because you're going to have petabytes of data coming down and guess where it's all going to be stored and guess who's going to benefit from all of that it's all the, it's not just aws but also you know all the other cloud providers and it's great for amazon but then if you look at the industry half of the images that's being stored or processed especially if you're looking at half of the world it's going to be cloudy and you know there are some use cases people are you know exploiting in terms of what is the cloud image going to be used for can we use it for anything there are a couple of again research projects going on that I've seen that use cloudy images, but most of that data is absolutely useless. And from an economic point of view, you're basically paying for something that is of close to no value, but you still have to kind of pay that to Amazon because you're still going to have to, both the Amazon and the ground system operators, because you're going to have to downlink that. And economically speaking, this technology was needed because the way it was going and the way it's going to go with more and more petabytes and what's the next one, exabytes, I guess, it's just too much. I mean, unless you're talking about SAR, in which case it's great, but then other types of data are just useless. So yeah, no, on-orbit processing is inevitable, and but there are still some 
you know, technological codes to crack in terms of, well, first, what level of data can you process? Because if you don't have the infrastructure up, there are a couple of companies working on on orbit storage, so to say, you know, inter-satellite links, standards that need to be built because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're an insurance company, going back to that example, and you want to get a processed image down, you probably wouldn't care about who the data provider is. You just want, I don't know, like give me the trees in this image so that I can then go on and you know process where the fire is going to spread. That's going to affect my insurance model. That's all I care about, right? Like, and you wouldn't care about who downlinks this image unless you have a contract with them. You basically just focus on your problem. And if you're looking at on-orbit on data processing at that point, you probably need to have like a, you know, a framework that all the data providers are speaking to each other, inter-satellite links built so that image from one satellite is transmitted to another satellite to be processed and then downlinked, agnostic to who the data provider is, agnostic to who built the algorithm, because again, the end customer would not care. So a lot of things need to be figured out. You know, technologically speaking, yes, there are a few companies working on it, but then what I call boring problems, right? Like who's going to want to solve this problem? It's a very boring problem, right? Like if you start a company saying, you know, this is what my job is, it's not going to sound so sexy as, oh, I'm going to start a company to build satellites, right? Like so, and that's why you have fewer of these companies, right? Like Skywatch comes to mind. How many Skywatches exist, right? Like, but there are probably 10, 12, 15 satellite constellation companies with very little kind of technological differentiation. So very few people will focus on the boring problems as well. So, you know, all of that need to be figured out before on-orbit processing makes sense. At least when, when everything's up and running, it's going to be, you know, pretty seamless, right? Like you, you're going to have processed, I mean, by processed, you know, there can be different level of processing, but people get pre-processed image, they're going to be happy, right? Like all just set a condition, give me images with less than 70% clouds or greater than 70% clouds. If you're going to be able to set a filter and just get those images, it's going to make, you know, so many people's lives easy, right? Like, and there's a lot to kind of do and automate on that front. It's going to be exciting. There's probably a lot to actually unpack in, in all of that. Like that, I think initially, and give me your thoughts here, but as companies focus in on on-orbit processing and solving problems, that's probably where you get that verticalization we just mentioned. You know, a company like Planet, if they're going to do on-orbit processing, it might be to do those ag indices on the satellite and beam down just the, the indices and so forth. But then you have to choose what's going to be processed on orbit if you're not downlinking the, the full data set, and that's going to limit your ability to go across horizontally. It's super, super interesting. Unless it sounds like four of us could start up a new business here of, you know, data center in space. Hmm. Well, I think there are a couple of people working on it. And <laughs> there are a few. There are a few, yeah. But I mean, you're right. It's also, you know, important to figure out that not all of them are going to need it, right? Like some people are going to be like, yeah, I need the raw image. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the defense use cases. You probably want the raw image and, you know, take care of itself because they have an entire workflow of, analysts working on imagery from the very start. But then if you look at insurance, they just want to get their answer. They don't care about yeah. which source even the answer comes from. So for them, maybe it's it's great. So it's going to be interesting, the dynamics between different sectors and who figures out what and who actually invests in it, right? Like maybe Planet figures out that the agriculture market does not care about it. So, you know, they wouldn't be so interested in this technology, whereas, you know, someone else might be very interested. So it's going to be a lot of dynamics. That's part of the code that still needs to be cracked. As you look at these different verticals, it's not just one data set that provides the answers at the end of the day. If you look at you know, talking about the, the farmer example, it's the imagery, it's the weather, it's the number of inches of rain. I translated that for you guys. <laughs> it's the hours of sunlight. You know, It's not just the one, one singular data set. And so is the the answer the fact that it does have to be downloaded so you can start to mix data to come up with the the real answers that we as humans intuitively come up with when we do our decision making right i think in addition to that andrew 
Arvin's point there about that part of the code being, are we providing the answer or are we providing the analytics to the analytics company? Like that's the thing that the remote sensing industry has been struggling with for decades. Even back to the first star, everyone wants to go directly to the end user. And if you're going to the end user in ag versus the end user in energy or the end user in a certain different market, there are all these analytics companies that specialize in those different markets. And so essentially what you're saying is that by creating that solution that just provides the answer, you're essentially disintermediating the entire middle of that market that's the analytics piece. And so you're saying that that company that goes horizontal also has to have the expertise in all of those different markets to accomplish that and integrate all that data from other earth observation and maybe ground truth data sources as well, which is a, that's a really heavy lift. Yeah, well, for one company to do that, it's going to be pretty crazy. So which is why, you know, verticalization and focusing on one specific market was the way to go because you wouldn't be, you know, practically able to do all of that. If you're able to do like one by one, that makes, you know, a lot more sense. Um, For instance, I've spoken to folks at Live EO, also happen to be in Berlin and know them very well. They started with infrastructure, but, you know, they want to go, to other markets as well. Again, it's from an analytics pers- uh, provider perspective, not a data provider perspective. Even from an analytic provider perspective, inside provider, it's needed, right? Like you cannot say, I'm going to start a company. I think, you know, people have said, that's why you have companies like Orbital Insight and Descartes Labs, but they would again have a focus market that, that they are focusing on because it's very hard to start a company that is that is entirely horizontal because you probably need to do the work in understanding the customer needs, building a product that makes sense because the product for agriculture, the way it looks, needs to look completely different, just the front end, right? Like it needs to look completely different for another market. Maybe they're using the same image. Maybe they're running the same algorithm. Maybe it's still, I don't know, counting the number of cars, the, the example that everybody talks about counting the number of cars and showing it for a retail company is going to be very different from showing it to a financial services company. Two different use cases using the exactly the same algorithm, but you know you probably need to have a different company or maybe a different team building this entirely. So that's a challenge, right? Like who's going to have to crack that? And also the, you know, it raises a question, do we even need to crack that, right? Like I mentioned before that that is the big thing to crack in our observation, maybe we never have to get there. Maybe there will be no horizontal champion. There will just be these three companies are focusing on this market. These three companies are focusing on that market. And that's probably how the industry is going to evolve because I see what the you know companies pitch or you know how their websites look like today. I don't know if that's going to be the same way in five years, right? Like we can work on agriculture. Yeah, we have the answers to everything. At some point, I think it's going to be, you know, what we probably have to pick and choose. I know that there are some people who even including in the industry who have disagreements about that, that companies don't need to focus. They can continue providing as long as you want to be just a data provider. Fair enough. But then I don't know if you can continue existing like that and grow just focusing on all the sectors that exist in the world. It's going to be pretty hard because... I was just looking at another assignment about six six months ago, one source of data, but then two different industries. They were trying to use the same data set. One was in mining and the other was in insurance. If you go to mining, they are not even digital yet. They are not digital. They are just discovering Excel. That's the state of a lot of you know the mining industry. They're using, some of them use SAP, some software but they are not ready. That was their customer. For their whole business proposition, right, is we break things and then we move it someplace else. I mean, the mining industry, it's, it's like pretty brute force, right? And, you know, if you need to get something to them quick, it's the fax machine. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're going to change. And earth observation data is going to give them an alert that, you know, this changes things for them. But the point was, you know, for them, if you're going to sell the same data set to the mining company and the insurance company, you're going to have to sell it in completely different ways because these people don't have cloud capacity or they probably never bought AWS in their life. So 
how are they going to buy you know, the Earth observation data and use it? Not generalizing. I'm sure there are advanced, let's say digitally advanced mining companies out there, as we saw from Pixel's announcement recently. And I think Great Into have been working with remote sensing for quite a bit of time. But then this company was working with a mining company who were not completely digital. So they had a choice of, do we go and build a final product for them? Or do we just let them go? Because, you know, they know that their data is useful for mining, but now they have a choice. Insurance, they can just go and sell it, or they can do some level of pre-processing and sell it. But then for mining, they need to go, you know, probably two steps deeper, three steps deeper. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's a hard choice also for companies. Yep. You know, one of the things, too, that I think Earth Observation has benefited from recently with the events in Ukraine with Russia's invasion and the world watching, I've heard more than I've ever heard in my career how those within the news industry, former generals, former military, former intelligence, have talked about how advantageous it was to have remotely sensed commercial satellite data. You know, before... All of this data was at the national level, couldn't be shared widely, but now all of this commercial data can just be shared through the media and the world can watch. And there's a person that I respect a lot that used to tell me that, and it was about financials, but I think you can take the same analogy to imagery. And that quote was, numbers never lie, but people lie with numbers. And I think when we look at remote sensing industry as a whole, when you've got the imagery to back up the facts, you at least help people make informed decisions. And I think that what we saw in the last weeks and days of the buildup of these things happening in and around Ukraine, where it was exposed by commercial satellite imagery, I think that this is going to be a tipping point, especially in that sector for commercial data uses. But I'd love to hear what you think as well. No, definitely 100%. I mean, defense, again, has been very big user and continues to be the biggest user of earth observation data but then now it's also getting into the public eye which is a completely new experience i guess seeing you know news feeds and live updates filled with images from earth observation companies is you know it's it's new i think it's probably the first time i guess at least in the last six years that i remember where there was so so many circulation of images and you know i remember the last year when the Ship got stuck. I think that was probably the last time when I saw so many satellites. I've never images. seen more images from more companies on one ship in my entire life. That's true. <laughs> oh, yeah. We shot the ship too. Oh, yeah. Me too. Oh, yeah. Me too. So, yeah, that was fun. But this year, with this crisis, tracking the crisis, the buildup, everything, right? Like it was out in the open. It was no more this country said something and the other country said something else. That was objective truth to verify. So it's amazing. And the other example that I keep thinking about in where Earth observation is probably the only source of data that exists that is going to be useful is, you know, for climate monitoring, for especially when it comes to emissions, it is going to be the single source of truth, right? Like, there are going to be probably in the future, new stories of, you know, a company reporting something and then either the regulator or just an investigation, private investigation, like there are, you know, hundreds out there today that use satellite image to investigate some things. They're going to have to come back and say, no, that was not your emission. We have your data that was coming from your factory, right? This was your carbon footprint and you haven't reported it. So, you know, there's going to be private investigations that's happening like that. That's going to be great because... You cannot imagine that would happen five, 10 years ago. They'll probably get away with it, right? Like this, this was it and this was my mission and, you know, I kind of offset it or whatever they did, but then now they can't escape. And, and it, it, again, it goes back to how useful this data is going to be in the background. Like I mentioned, sometimes it will come to the foreground, like how it did in the last few days for, you know, obvious reasons, you got to see the satellite image. But then, you know, a lot of the use is going to be in the background, right? Like in the foreground is, is very good for use cases like what we saw in the last few days. But then the background use cases are going to be the most powerful, especially for, for Earth observation. So not to make light of this very serious topic, but I foresee your data set will be the truth teller of my local weatherman. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no, right? Like, because one thing that we are absolutely clear um, at tomorrow is this is not going to be a replacement. This is going to be a complementary aspect to what's out there because national weather agencies exist for a reason because they are public goods. They take in different sort of types of data and provide their predictions. But then, you know, we've, we've already started to see that happen. We already work with a few cities in the U.S., where, you know, in some cases we are the primary provider of weather data, but in some cases we are the secondary provider, which means that, you know, it's just a second opinion. And it exists in, you know, a lot of cases, right? Like from going to the doctor to bigger decisions in, in life. And if you are a city that needs to plan for an incoming flood and, you know, it, it is going to take, you know, resources in terms of time and effort and money to prepare for the event, you probably want to get a second opinion. So it makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, more importantly, that's kind of what we do is, you know, at tomorrow, it's a weather forecast that's hyper-local, that's high resolution. So, you know, the data that you get from the national weather agencies are not very, very high resolution. You know, you wouldn't know that if you're operating in this street as a construction company, can I, you know, use my crane today? Is there going to be heavy gusts of wind? You probably get that for the whole city or the or the neighborhood, depending on which part of the world you are. But you probably won't get that at such high level of resolution, especially around the world. Because weather, as a lot of people, that's just been the most, I don't know, shocking discovery for me in terms of how the weather discrepancy around the world. It's just insane, right? Like in, in 2022, it, it shouldn't be like that, where even a basic weather forecast, right? Like... There was floods, so many, I mean, so many events in the last six months, especially in Africa. There was one in Madagascar, I guess, four or five days ago. Yeah. And they did not get a flood warning until the morning. That is basically the state of weather, right? Like in, in, in West, we're probably so used to it that, yeah, in a lot of part of the world, there's no infrastructure. So, you know, which means that you don't get good weather alert. I started noticing that more because there is a reason why the casualties are in three digits or two digits usually in that part of the world. And, you know, if there was a casualty, it's breaking news, right? Like in the West. And I remember in Europe last year, there was in Germany, there was crazy floods and it kind of, you know, turned everything upside down because how could that happen in Germany, right? Like, but then this is basically, you know, every month story, every year story in other parts of the world. So there's a lot of things to do with respect to weather, especially what's going on with climate change. So mm-hmm. that's basically the, again, the impact side of tomorrow that attracted me as well. It was from a strategic standpoint, I loved it because that's what I had been writing about and advocating for that the company should go to space to solve a problem with the product in mind, which is what tomorrow was. But then you know, the impact part was mostly the pull-in factor just based on what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can give a round robin of the type of companies that need hyper-local weather. What kind of companies is tomorrow working with? Well, different sectors, actually, from airline, as you would imagine, for airline navigation. So from airlines to energy companies for different use cases, right? Like I'm just giving you the sectors because each... I guess each customer uses tomorrow differently, not each. There are like, you know, categories of customers. For instance, if you, if you look at Uber, which is a customer that uses tomorrow's products for a completely different reason, right? Like they use our API to predict demand so that they can plan, you know, their drivers. Surge rates. Their surge exactly. rates. Exactly. Based on <laughs> yeah, surge. surge rates. Yeah. Damn surge rates. <laughs> I don't know if it's a surge rates actually, but then it's more for, yeah, predictive demand in terms of what to prepare for for weather. So Uber on one hand to, I don't know, if you look at a logistics company that's shipping things from point A to point B, they need to meet an SLA. All they care about is, can I ask my driver to go from here to here with an SLA of six hours because it's a six hour journey. But then, you know, they didn't probably take into account whether they needed throughout the journey, right? Like from which route they are taking, is there is there a risk of frost, snowstorm, whatever it is that they need to prepare for. So that's another industry. So I mentioned airline, energy, 
I'm going to steal this one from Andrew and it's almost perfect. The anti-surgery. So then you know when to call your, uh, your Uber early. <laughs> well, also for a customer. Yeah. That, that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Logistics, warehouses, because you know, for warehouses, the, one of the things that we do is provide, you would imagine mm, warehouses, well, what can it be? And of course, you know, you, you need to prepare for warnings, you know, tornadoes or floods, whatever is coming your way so that you can prepare. But then one of the use cases that was super interesting for me was people inside uh, the warehouses just use the dashboard to plan for flood events and weather events. But then they also use the same dashboard to figure out when we should give our employees 10 minute extra breaks per hour because it's a heat wave. So mm-hmm. they can plan logistics and HR based on what the weather comes because there's going to be a heat wave over the next week. You probably need to account for extra breaks that you need to give for folks because they're inside all the time and they're going to burn if there's going to be too much exposure to heat, right? Like, I'd add to that with the warehouses too, kind of energy efficiencies. So, you know, during a heat wave, how much are you going to need to run the air conditioner versus the the equipment that could be inside? Yeah, that's uh, more so. on the energy side for sure. Yeah. But there have been several use cases, right? Like, I mean, every person on the planet is affected by weather, which is a statement. But then to see that in action in terms of how companies use that, it has been pretty interesting for me to learn. And I guess the same thing is probably going to happen with the imaging and the whole earth observation world coming back to that discussion, right? Like it's it's the same thing. It's probably going to affect a lot of part of the world, probably all of the world, but not in ways that we know right now. So yeah, that's that's basically what I find similarities between what we're doing with what's coming up with EO. That's awesome. So you've been awesome with your time. It's been a great conversation. We're getting close to, I guess, the hour here. If you had to, besides tomorrow, which is very exciting, anything else that's inspiring you in the industry today? Hmm. Well, it's it's type of question I think I need to prepare for, but off the top of my head. (laughs) Wouldn't be any fun if we let you prepare. Andrew likes to throw you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think a couple of things, right? Like, one, moving away from Earth observation for a bit because we've talked about it so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely, I mean, I need to mention Starship and what's going on there with the kind of, I don't know, the effort that's being put in to build build that and get it to fruition. That is very inspiring to see simply because you kind of know what the best case scenario looks like or people have already started to talk about, write about. And you can also just imagine if you have Starship working, what can happen for the world. So that is definitely, you know, super inspiring to see and the progress and whatever is tracking it every day, I guess, uh, as folks in the space industry do. So yeah, that's one thing. And the second thing, again, on, yeah, on the potential of space for for countries and for doing things that we haven't imagined. Maybe I'm going to introduce EO again here, but then it's not only EO, it's also comms. It's also different parts of space industry that we don't really associate with of how it's going to help, I don't know, some farmer who is suffering from a locust swarm attack that killed all his crops. Probably reading the news, but you wouldn't think that a solution enabled by space is kind of what will push an alert so that he gets ready for that. You know, things like that. It just seems like, you know, a problem that you see on the news and, you know, you don't know what to do about, but then there's a problem, there's a solution that can be enabled by space. So seeing that and knowing that space technologies have a role to play there, it's pretty nice to be in an industry that kind of enables that, right? Like you're not selling ads. So it makes you feel better that you're in an industry like that. Agreed. I think that's a great way to wrap up the show and in our discussion here. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks a lot. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for having me on. Yep. You're always welcome back. Thank you, Arvin. We will see you on the next show sometime. Thank you, Clint. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Another great show in the books with Arvind. What'd you guys think? It was good. It was a great discussion, great topics. I liked how we wrapped it up. You know, 
I think Earth observation and information technologies is going to, you know, up level the global community. Nothing but good should come of all this data coming good, down to Earth. Good what? All uh, good, just good, goodwill, good. goodness. Are we going to have to bleep out your language there, Andrew? Are we? What did I say? <laughs> I don't know. We'll leave it in and see how the fans react. I do like the layering in of another weather data set to come in and kind of be another validation point for people. You know, there have been quite a few weather companies out there that have tried to make a go of it, but they've all been using national or government-based weather satellites. And, you know, tomorrow's coming in with proprietary data sets, hyper-local weather. I forgot to ask what hyper-local means exactly. Like, how local is hyper-local? Outside your window. Outside? (laughs) Stick your arm out and see if it's raining. But you think about just the whole geospatial and location-based data. I mean, isn't that really weather from the beginning? (laughs) We had that one going. You don't really care about it until you're right there. The grandfather of geospatial is weather. It is. There we go. Right. I like it. Yeah. So, you know, I think people, you know, as we said during the the episode with Aravind, people tend to think of earth observation and they only think of imagery or they only think of SAR and they tend to say that is earth observation data, but there are so many different types of earth observation, RF. We've got signal intelligence, all of that. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. And so I was thrilled to have Arvind on great following. I really enjoy visiting with him. So knowledgeable about the industry. And so I think, If we get a chance to have him back on the show, I'd love to have him on with some of the industry leaders. Like he's clearly got great opinions about the different parts of the industry, different leaders from different companies in earth observation. And I think it would be great to get them all together, Thunderdome style, and talk about the earth observation industry together. A couple of EO providers enter and only one EO leaves. That's right. There we go. The octagon. So I hope that one of them does, as Aravind said, crack the code. I'd love to see someone be successful and completely move out horizontally within the industry. I have a hard time believing that it's going to happen, but I would love to see them get there. So until next time on Space in 60, we'll see you when we see you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where new space speaks. Space in 60.